TED Audio Collective. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. You're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. HBR presents. Hi, everyone. You're listening to After Hours. I'm Young Me. I'm Me here. And I'm Felix. How are you guys doing? Hanging in there. (laughs) Hanging in there. (laughs) This feels like week 38 of being quarantined. (laughs) So have you hit the point where you find yourself engaged in some kind of activity that you normally never would otherwise be doing? (laughs) Totally. We have all of these house projects. So there's like a light bulb that has been out for basically, I think, eight decades. (laughs) And these weeks, definitely like all of these projects. Wow, they're melting really fast. (laughs) so funny that you say that. This last weekend, my husband, he caught me in one of our bathrooms with this big measuring tape. And he walked in and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I was thinking maybe we could renovate. (laughs) He said, oh my goodness. What about you, Mihir? Yes, so definitely um, the study has never been cleaner, which is fantastic. (laughs) I also feel like I have to be really careful about what I start watching because I will finish it. Even if it's total (laughs) junk, I will go to the last episode. And so I am binging, but I have to be really, really careful. The important question is, has your morning routine changed? In other words, knowing that when you roll out of bed, your first meeting, and in fact, all of your meetings are going to be virtual. Does it change how you get ready in the morning? Definitely extended use of pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know, actually, can I ever go back? I've actually maintained. I'm a creature of routine. I was a little surprised you're wearing a tie now. (laughs) Well, I always feel, you know, a little insecure around you too without a tie. Yeah, so I I have actually maintained, like, I immediately get up and I have to go to the shower and I have to change and I have to be up. It's the only way I know how to live. So I have not altered that at all. Hmm. What about you, young me? I'm somewhere in between the two of you. I do get dressed, Felix. But (laughs) let me just say, I'm getting a little extra sleep every morning for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway... Okay, so both of you guys brought in topics for this week. Mm-hmm. So Felix, you brought in something? Yeah, I thought it would be fun to talk about standout companies. You know how people say 
in times of crisis, you really get to learn someone's character. And in a way, that's also true for companies, right? And so I wanted to ask both of you just about which companies did you see that felt like they're doing something really amazingly positive or maybe something that is highly questionable given the uncertain times. Excellent. Okay, that sounds great. great. And then Mahir? Yeah, so I was you know, just curious about what you guys think of as the really kind of big breakout phenomenon that have come out of this coronavirus. <laughs> Maybe a little bit lighter of a topic. Oh. What is the meme or the video or the thing that is happening in the world now that never happened before that you've really caught a hold of? So I'm curious about that. Okay, great. Sounds good. Okay, Felix. So let's talk about these unusual companies. Me here. What did you observe? Well, you know, there were so many both inspiring examples and horrible examples of layoffs, but also of firms coming through with better wages for workers. But I was really struck by one that happened in Australia with Qantas. And so the CEO of Qantas, when international flights were completely stopped in Australia, he decided to furlough thousands of workers. And these were baggage handlers to pilots to everybody. But what he did in conjunction with that is reach an arrangement with Woolworths, which is a large retailer in Australia, to basically try to streamline the process for furloughed workers to get employment at Woolworths. Oh. The reason I like this is because we've talked about how important it is to maintain firm employee relationships. Mm -hmm. But what we also have is some firms scaling up hugely. Mm -hmm. So supermarkets mm -hmm. and delivery, there's things that are actually hiring, Amazon. And then there are people who are just shocked with huge amounts of unemployment. And I thought it was really interesting to have these two CEOs come together and say, well, wait a second, I need to really reduce capacity. You may need to really increase capacity at the same time. Yeah. And so they tried to create these processes for Qantas workers to kind of get first priority into Woolworths hiring and to do it in as seamless a way as possible. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a fantastic example of thinking creatively about this very odd moment we're in where capacity is both being cut, but also being increased at other places. Super interesting. I saw something very similar, a grocery store chain in Texas. And on the one hand, they have so many more customers who buy larger quantities also. And that really strained their supply chain. And then you have so many supply chains that have a lot of capacity. And they were also, just like you described, they were ingenious at signing up drivers from companies that didn't have all that much work and reassigned them to routes and to stores that needed extra supply. And I thought as an example of agility, that was just a really beautiful example to see. A lot of the people who run these companies, they have a Rolodex right. and they have the capacity to pick up the phone and to call each other. And you see this happening in this country where you have CEOs calling each other to try to reconfigure their factories to begin to produce medical protective gear or right. to help mm -hmm. the hospital mm -hmm. systems in their states. And so you do see behind the scenes the leadership of a lot of these corporations stepping up and making the phone calls and trying to either help each other or help their state governments in lots of ways that are not necessarily visible. And it's a good example how close relationships that sort of cut through the usual red tape that make things go much more smoothly than they otherwise would. These relationships really matter in times yeah, of crisis. Absolutely. Young Mi, what did you observe? What did you see? Okay, so you can't help but manage your way through this crisis without paying attention to Zoom. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> so this has got to be yeah. one of the greatest branding achievements in recent memory. Yeah. Zoom went from being a piece of business software 
to a consumer household name seemingly overnight. It's kind of amazing. It's now a verb even among teenagers. A little bit of background. Prior to the crisis, Zoom was already on a very successful path. It went public about a year ago, and it was one of the few IPOs that did well last year. It's been a profitable company. And even before the crisis, they were already a pretty unusual disruptor in the enterprise space. In part because in a market with mature competitors like Cisco's WebEx, it was able to come in and steal share away, not by being innovative. It didn't have a special feature set, did not have a fancy interface. It didn't do anything particularly differentiated. Instead, it just worked better. It failed far less often, which was kind of fascinating because this is not typically how you win in the enterprise market. So Zoom was making inroads in this market already just because of better performance. And now this crisis hit and they're being flooded with casual users. Everyone from kindergarten teachers to yoga instructors are now using Zoom. (laughs) The number of daily users has gone from 10 million at the beginning of this year, just a couple months ago, to more than 200 million a day. Yeah. And so the real question is, is this going to translate into sustainable business success? Mm-hmm. I'll just say two things that have really stood out to me. One is they have handled the unexpected surge in traffic stunningly well. Absolutely. To go yeah. to 20x the amount of traffic that you had the day before – and be able to manage that traffic is really pretty amazing. The second thing I'll say is that with the high profile comes a lot more scrutiny as well. So they're dealing with a lot of privacy issues, encryption questions, security questions. And they're also dealing with things like Zoom bombing and, you know, bad behavior. And I think the jury is still out on whether or not they're going to be able to manage that piece of it. But it is right now one of the most interesting companies to keep an eye on. Yeah. What do you guys think? What has been your assessment of their performance and what do you predict for these guys going forward? One of the things that I really liked about Eric Yen, the CEO, is when all of this criticism came up. Oh my God, you're routing some of your traffic through China. Oh my God, all of a sudden we have people who join meetings and they shouldn't be there. And there's all of these issues. I cannot remember a CEO who owned these issues quite the way he did. Like finally a CEO who said, look, we went in with all good intentions. And then he made a series of reasonable claims how these good intentions in the face of this really unprecedented growth then led to really serious problems and how he himself as a person was touched by these issues. Mm. It did not feel corporate at all, his response. And so I... I was almost more enamored to Zoom than I, I've I've loved Zoom for quite some time, but I thought it's one of these instances where we might look back and say the way they handled the crisis actually helped solidify the strength of the company in the marketplace. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess the two angles on the Zoom thing, the first angle on it is just the kind of remarkable valuation story, right? So it has now mushroomed to $40 billion, back down to $30 billion. And it's interesting because it's become a stock. And there are a few stocks like this, which are they're kind of trades, you know, which is like if you want to go long something when your coronavirus is going, it's like teledoc, it's Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like taken on its own life in that way. The other piece that really strikes me about it is 
you know, they have these competitors like Google Meet and Microsoft Teams, but they were just lying inside Microsoft and Google being underutilized. And I think one of the interesting things about this is whether mm. now we're going to see Google and Microsoft take those products out in a stronger way. And then the issue of competition, I think, might become more severe. So I don't know. I think it's a super fascinating story, Young Me, just like you said. It's kind of like the company of the moment. There's the short term and then there's the longer term. In the short term, what they're doing to address some of the more acute questions about whether or not it's a safe platform to use, I think, are going to be really critical. And to Felix's point, it's been impressive how they have responded. They've instituted a full feature freeze, which means they are freezing all innovation in order to make sure mm -hmm. the core functionality remains robust mm. and they address the security and privacy concerns. So They've communicated that this is priority number one. And then the question is, what's going to happen over the longer term? Right. A lot of the recent surge in the traffic is consumer usage. And my guess is many of those are using the free version of the service. And so right. the question is, what's going to happen to that? But then there are also a lot of companies that continue to rely on video conferencing and will probably do so for months and months and months and months. And what's interesting here is the opportunity to dramatically shorten the sales cycle. And this is the counterpoint to what you were saying here. Typically for a company like Zoom to get into these big legacy companies, that's right. the sales cycle, it takes months right. for a big that's company yeah. to adopt a new piece of software. But because of the COVID situation, because Zoom is so easy for people to heavily sample in a very short period of time, there is a real opportunity for it to make some inroads among companies that would normally take years to penetrate. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how much conversion they actually get. But anyway, that's the one I'm really keeping my eye on. And then Felix, you must have brought in a company as well. What's your company? Yeah, it's actually a super interesting organization. And that is Chef Jose Andres, who has lots of restaurants in D.C., in New York. Mm. Uh, he has started actually a while back. He has started this nonprofit that is called World Central Kitchen. And Every big catastrophe that you have seen in the past couple of years, they are always there and they're always feeding people and they're cutting through red tape. They're making use of local resources. It's often furloughed restaurant workers that are local. It's local supply chains and they're bringing food to distressed communities. I love that guy. Yeah. That work is just spectacular. Yeah. so good. I mean, he is like, as a person, he's also, really? you just want to hug him. <laughs> I was thinking, it was so typical when, remember the controversy whether they would let that cruise ship dock in San Francisco? Mm -hmm. And of course, it ended up after much back and forth. Finally, it can dock. Who else is right there with a tent, with warm food? Yeah. Of course, it's World Central Kitchen. And yeah. one of the things that I find interesting is you see lots of responses to the current crisis, right? So even 11 Madison Park, like probably New York's best restaurant, they now have turned their kitchen into a commissary kitchen. They're preparing about 2,000 meals a day, mostly for hospitals, but it takes weeks. Hmm. What I really love about Jose Andres is it's always there. This is one of the things I hope lots of companies and lots of people will think about what is our ability to create capacity to respond to catastrophes where we don't have to invent things from scratch. I think one of 
the legacies of the crisis will be that there is so much more capacity. And if we can maintain it, if we can internationally deploy it the way he does it, that's actually a really amazing and beautiful thing to do. The thing that always amazes me about him, as with the Puerto Rico situation and other situations, is he not just only does this, but he does it at scale. Yeah. I mean, he gets up to like 50,000, 100,000 meals from zero yeah. in like a few days. It's incredible. It's almost like a case study of like, how do you create that kind of capacity at scale so quickly in these areas? And there's such a leadership component here. He not only manages to do it, he manages to publicize it in a way that doesn't seem self-promoting. It's never about him. Yeah. It's always about the work that's being done. It's always about the food that's being provided. It's always about the local communities they're trying to help. It's really amazing to see him communicate what he's doing. And it becomes really infectious. You watch it and you're so caught up in the passion. And by the way, the food looks amazing. <laughs> it really does. That's right. Yeah. It's fantastic. Really wonderful. So, Mihir. You wanted us to talk about breakout phenomena. Yeah, the breakout hits. So obviously it's a very somber time, but there have been these things that have just sparked the imagination at a time when we're all spending a lot of time at home. And I'm curious what the big breakout phenomenons of COVID-19 have been for you. So what's really struck you and what has caught your attention, young me? So it's like I woke up one morning and suddenly my social media feed is filled with photos of sourdough bread. <laughs> suddenly everyone's making <laughs> so bread. So true. <laughs> and I found this to be really fascinating. So the next time I was in the supermarket, I went to the baking aisle and I discovered that that entire aisle is just decimated. Yeah, it's yeah, like exactly. everybody is buying exactly flour. Right. Yeah, the price flour. of eggs has it's gone up. Yeah. Have you noticed this? Yeah. You must have your stand mixer, Sal. Oh, yeah. Oh. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I find so funny about the bread breaking is if you are a novice at making bread, don't start with sourdough. That's a really hard thing to do. That's the same misguided intuition that we cook turkey on Thanksgiving. It is a really difficult dish to get right. Do it with a white bread. Like, do something simple. Right. Don't start with sourdough. I started even simpler yeah. because I have a full house right now. And so I baked brownies the other day, which are not that oh, hard. Oh, yes. Yeah. And really hard That's to screw thing. up. You cannot mess up brownies. Yes. And it's the kind of thing that I'd never normally do. So there you go. Yeah. Baking. It's hilarious how it varies internationally. In Europe, there's a spike in demand for fresh vegetables. Oh, uh, of course. That says all you oh, need to know. So, exactly. <laughs> okay. So that's mine. Felix, your turn. So you know how usually they select the person of the year, and sometimes it's not really a person. Sometimes it's a computer or something else. I think this year is going to be the year of statistics. I have not seen as many people trying to understand curves ever in my life. <laughs> and it's hilarious to me, in particular the politicians. A logarithmic scale. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, with a logarithmic scale. <laughs> yeah. If you pay mild attention during statistics class, you have this amazing advantage. And if I can sort of highlight one, one organization, I think that has done an amazing job. I don't know if you've seen the Reuters reporting on the Korean clusters. So they have these graphs, which are just 
beautiful, beautiful. So patient number one, patient number two, patient number three, and you see how many other people they infected. Yeah. And then how the infection literally spreads. Wow. If you look at the graph, it is just amazing. And it shows you things like patient 31 infected 1,160 contacts. Oh, my God. And Korea's government followed up with every single one of them. Wait, Isn't Felix, that amazing? we have to include that link. That's yes, fascinating. Yeah, that we'll great. do that. So yeah. I have a somewhat related one, which is one kind of form of data visualization, of course, is the kind of statistics you're talking about, Felix. The one that I've gotten really attracted to is satellite images of economic activity during this coronavirus and of environmental emissions, and even just aerial photography mm, of yeah. places yes. that were once highly concentrated and now are empty. But these kinds of visual representations of the slowdown of economic activity, I think are so powerful. There are many of these, but if you look at emissions over China or the United States at times when the slowdowns and lockdowns were announced, you can literally visualize what has happened <laughs> during that time. Yeah. The aerial yeah. photography of St. Peter's Square on a Sunday mass or even some internal photography like Grand Central Station, these really highly concentrated areas which are now empty, there's actually almost a beauty to it. It's, of course, very striking and in some ways painful to look at, but it's also just beautiful to see these empty spaces that we've never seen empty before. Yeah. Yeah. So both the combination yeah, so of all true. kinds of aerial photography and satellite images, I have just been consuming left, right, and center and loving them. Yeah, I was on a bike ride yesterday and I rode through downtown Manhattan and then Chinatown. And it was so strange. To, there wasn't a single person out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exactly what you said, like these places... You know, they're always crowded. There's always so many. Right. You almost feel like you're in a movie set. Yeah, yes. And it's a little beautiful and it's eerie. Yeah, it's sad, but there the is a beauty time. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yangmi, do you have another one? Well, I mean, it's interesting. So Felix did logarithmic scales and then you did satellite imagery of emissions and I'm going to do Animal Crossing. <laughs> so, well, okay, backtrack. Video gaming, obviously doing incredibly well right now, yeah. as you can imagine. Amazing. Yeah. But Animal Crossing, mm -hmm. this thing has become an absolute phenomenon among people who are not the two of you. That's right. So I, I actually read the description and I thought, who would want to play this? This is how young me is spending not a lot of time, but a small portion oh, of that her time. Because I'm not going to play Fortnite. And so it's the kind of thing where you can dabble a little bit. It's very easy. It's very zen. It's very mellow. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> Felix, do you have another I have one that actually astounds me. And that is the type of advertising that seems completely irresponsive to the moment that we're in. Oh, yeah. I'm watching a news program in the evening, and I would say two out of the three nights, there is an ad for cruises. <laughs> Really? Yeah, unbelievable. But there's so much yeah. else. And then it's oh like people's gosh. dreams is to travel to Italy and do this and that. Right. It seems like, what are you thinking? So like, true. how difficult must it be to change out these ads? <laughs> do you know the world we live in at this moment in time? And apparently these companies don't. You know, so on that topic of kind of tone deaf, mm -hmm. I think it is amazing to see not just companies being tone deaf, but the ones I really enjoy are celebrities who are tone deaf. <laughs> so there have been a couple oh, of these kind of fantastic yes. examples. Yes. One, of course, was David Geffen, who is the billionaire record executive. 
So he posted on Instagram, he posted, isolated in the Grenadines, avoiding the virus. I'm hoping everybody is staying safe. And it was a picture of his 454-foot ship. (laughs) And it was just (laughs) absolutely astounding kind of sense of disconnection with reality for what most people's lives are like. And a related one was this Gal Gadot video that she put together of Imagine the Song, which was so bad, musically so, so bad. And, you know, it springs from like a, a good place possibly, right? But it ended up being so bad and so kind of self-indulgent. So I just find like celebrities going tone deaf at this moment to be kind of hilarious. Yeah. There's some who've been good though, right? Yeah. Well, who do you think has gotten it right? I mean, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson in their posts, they're always so good. But who do you think of as getting it really right? Oh, I mean, everybody should follow Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah. He gets on and just Mm, performs this little musical interlude. Yeah. So you do see these little moments of just hitting exactly the right note. And then even the ones that start out terrible because people will make fun of them. Yeah. (laughs) And so you see like whenever a celebrity, you know, not the best appearance in their life. Sure enough, like five minutes later, you have like 18 copies on TikTok where people say, oh, and I cannot get my pool boy to fix the pool. How terrible <laughs> yeah. this pandemic. I hope it'll end soon. There's so much demand for humor now because of the situation we're in. Mm-hmm. So action comedies, Spencer Confidential, most watch movie on Netflix for about two weeks, <laughs> even though it's terrible. I think Rotten Tomato <laughs> rating is something like minus 18. <laughs> and people don't care because everybody's so hoping for just a little bit of comic relief. Anything funny, right? anything that makes you laugh, super high demand. Yeah. So here's one that I find utterly bewildering, and I don't even have anything to say about it, but I'm confused <laughs> and I need some insight. But apparently... Dating app activity is up. Huh. So just explain oh, that to me. Oh, I understand. Yeah, I totally understand. But you can't meet anyone. But low commitment browsing? Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's okay. in part the point, right? He said, oh, I'm so interested. I would love to meet you, if only. <laughs> no, that was the thing. Not sure where this conversation is going. Young me, do you have another one? Well... I don't know what to say, here because Peloton appears to be more popular than ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Revenge yeah. is sweet. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to leave it right there. Okay? <laughs> and we'll talk it in 12 months. Okay, picks. Felix, did you bring in a recommendation? I did. And it's an organization that I would like to recommend. They're called Just Capital. And it's an organization that ranks corporate America. It's usually the 100 largest companies. And typically, they would ask people, what are the concerns that you have about industry? What are the kinds of things that you would like to see companies do? How important is it? And then they create rankings. Now, during the pandemic, they have slightly changed their approach. 
And in part, what they do is that they document in quite some detail how companies have responded to the crisis. So hmm. in how many companies is it true that the CEO took a pay cut or gave up all of his pay? For how many companies is it true that they extended specific protections for their employees? And you can see all of the corporate responses along with the traditional ranking, which is mm -hmm. a really interesting way to get a sense of just how different these responses are. Mm. So I really love the work that Just Capital does in general. And I think it's particularly relevant, particularly interesting now. Huh. That's fantastic. That one sounds fascinating. But it also sounds like one of those things where you can go down the rabbit hole. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now that we all have time, it's yeah, like, that's oh, true. five hours true. later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Mihir. Well, so I have a book. I think at these times... You know, I tried to read a book about the Spanish flu and it was like way too depressing. And so I decided instead to kind of educate myself about a topic that I know nothing, which is viruses. And viruses are completely fascinating. And I've actually endorsed one of this guy's books before, which is um, The Tangled Tree. And his name is David Common. Mm. But he had written Ooh, a book. I remember. Yeah. But he had written a book like eight years ago about what are called zoonotic viruses, viruses that move from animals to humans. And it's called Spillover. And it's wonderful to read in a way because it is not immersed in the world of COVID, right? But it is about the phenomenon about viruses. And there is something that's just amazing about these things that are not really alive because they live only with the help of others and the way they spread. And that whole world, honestly, is something I didn't know much about. And I just found it absolutely fascinating. So if you're looking to get educated about that, mm. the really good one, I think, is Spillover by David Common. You know, the New Yorker recently had this article by Carolyn Corman called From Bats to Human Lungs. Oh, I read that. Yes. Oh. That was good too. It's almost sort of a forensic tracing of mm. this coronavirus. Mm. It was just fascinating to also read about how bats, because of their yeah, particular bats. physiology, yes, exactly. viruses are able to grow in them and become really quite dangerous while being benign for bats. Yeah. And we yeah. don't even really know why bats are often the originators of so many of these. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was so interesting in the New Yorker story is how once viruses jump from, say, bats to humans or bats to other animals, how they then adjust yeah. because they yeah. live in a different organism. Yeah. So even looking back, you can never really quite figure out the path. And as a result, there are these multiple theories how the coronavirus, for instance, went perhaps from bats to humans, but we will probably never know. And part of the reason why this stuff is so fascinating to read is it reads like a detective novel. Exactly. They're essentially yeah. trying to solve yeah. these mysteries. <laughs> right. It's so fascinating. Okay, so my actual recommendation is, I think I might have even recommended this organization before, but this is a more specific version of that prior recommendation. So one of my favorite charities is a charity called DonorsChoose.org, mm. and it enables you to donate to teachers. And so a lot of public school teachers in this country, they actually pay for supplies out of their own pocket because mm -hmm. their schools are yeah. underfunded. So they're always just looking for ways to raise money. What's happened now that schools have all shut down is that there are huge disparities in the ability for students to participate in online learning, for example, if they don't have a laptop. And so if you go on to Donors Choose, you will find a lot of teachers now requesting help in being able to purchase technology for students who are studying remotely and don't have the capacity to do that. So if you feel like contributing to that cause, it's a super, super easy way to do it. Mm -hmm. DonorsChoose.org. Go out and support 
teachers and their students who are trying to continue their learning, even during this shutdown. Great recommendation. Fantastic. Really nice. So that's it for this week. We will be back next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is After Hours from the HBR Podcast Network. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Ghost 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more.